This is Deirdre Wallenick, mother of a free solo climber, Alex Honnold, and you're listening to The Soul of Life. You probably recognize the voice of Jessica Hansen. If you listen to broadcast, you hear me blathering on about Atlassian and C3.ai. She's the one you hear reading NPR's funding credits. Many people are very surprised to find out that that's a full-time job. (laughs) She's also a voice coach for the journalists at NPR. Here she is helping NPR journalist Susan Stamberg with a breathing exercise. And we're focusing on the ribs that are right under your armpits here. And you should feel those swinging open and closed with this Labrador pant. Jessica's been a stage and screen actress and has made appearances in HBO's Veep with Julia Louise-Dreyfus and Parks and Rec with Amy Poehler. They say it will pass, but we'll only get $400 million instead of 900 Kate works at the Pentagon and Lacey works for Eric Cantor. What do you do, Leslie? I was just recently elected. I'm a councilwoman. Jessica helps actors and vocal performers develop their voices to stay healthy and make the sounds they want to make. In today's episode of The Soul of Life, I speak with Jessica about how she's helping performers work with new challenges while working from home. That separation of of your home life just doesn't exist now. You know, your kid is in the room with you or your baby's on your lap while we're doing this work. No, you can't curl up in a ball under a bedspread. You can't breathe that way. You can't make sound that way. Jessica knew she wanted to be an actress since she was age five. Landing her full-time gig at NPR makes her a very fortunate artist to have work during the pandemic. And she's perfectly fit to make the kind of on-the-fly adjustments needed to keep up with the demands of this news organization with an estimated audience of around 57 million each week. Predictability makes me crazy. And I know there are a lot of people that love predictability, and that's really stressful. But for me, this part of having to learn how to do my work in a different way has been, um, it's been kind of invigorating. What kind of vocal tips does Jessica give to people like Ari Shapiro, Mary Louise Kelly, David Green, or Sylvia Pajoli? So if you hear somebody whose voice is just really warm and inviting and mellifluous and sonorous and you just want to like climb up next to them, that's what the really open, released sound is. And if you hear somebody's voice that's just, Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. What's in a voice anyway? Does the way we make the sound of our voice really convey what we think it does? I think it goes back to uh, Paris Hilton, right? That's hot. That popcorn-y, gravelly sound. uh, uh, Boomers and Xers think fry makes you sound less credible, less knowledgeable. Millennials think fry makes you sound more authoritative, more credible. We tackle something that any performer or artist wrestles with, how to be more creative. In this society, we've so much prized productivity. It's really hard for some people to sit down for an hour or two and do something frivolous because they equivalate, equivalent? Was that a word? (laughs) They equate frivolity with meaninglessness. And I share how to untangle yourself from an inner critic that's blocking you from practice, production, and performing at your best. Welcome to season two, episode six of The Soul of Life. I'm Keith Miller. And this is At Home in Your Voice with Jessica Hansen. I'm Keith Miller, and my podcast, The Soul of Life, is here to help you remember who you really are. I'll bring together people who have gotten off their treadmills. I'll have conversations with athletes, musicians, 
doctors, scientists, healers, and entrepreneurs to discuss the fascinating edges of our knowledge in neurobiology, psychology, and physics. This is the soul of life. Please take the time now to subscribe to the soul of life wherever you're listening. Give it a thumbs up or write a positive review. That's the best way to make sure you don't miss out on these amazing episodes planned for season two. Jessica Hansen is the voice of NPR's funding credits and serves as in-house voice coach at NPR headquarters. She has been acting since age five and has performed guest star roles on NBC's Parks and Recreation and HBO's Veep, working alongside Amy Poehler and Julia Louis-Dreyfus. She's performed on stages across the country and in dozens of commercials and independent and industrial films. Jessica co-founded Lean and Hungry Theater, which creates podcasts and audio adaptations of Shakespeare and other classics to support teachers and students in the classroom and to make high-quality theater accessible to everyone. It's my distinct privilege to welcome Jessica Hansen. Hey, Jessica, how are you? Hi, thanks for having me. I'm good, I'm good. Just another uh, pandemic Monday morning here. Yeah, we were just talking about like, you know, we're in our slippers and like, you know, pajamas. I don't, I'm not going to speak for you, but like you, I'm, oh, for you can't sure. tell what I'm in here, but like, you know. I'm, Definitely I'm one, yoga pants. Yeah, <laughs> yoga pants are making a, uh, making their rounds, right? Um, yep. I'm excited to speak with you. I mean, a lot of people know your voice. Like anyone who listens to NBR hears you. And I'm um, delighted to talk about your work. Um, you know, when I reached out to you, I told you about my journey um, recently kind of getting hit with depression and coming out of that and sort of mm-hmm. why I started this podcast, being able to bring together um, the ways in which we come to life in our own ways, the ways we reconnect to life and stay vibrant in our work and everything. And, you know, I'd mm-hmm. love can't wait to talk with you about that. And um, I'm just interested to hear a little bit about what life is like right now doing doing this, doing your work at NPR during the crisis, during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah. It's it's interesting. I mean, everybody's lives have changed so drastically. Um, and working from home to voice funders involved a lot of technical adjustment. But once we figured out how that worked, it was fine. Uh, voice coaching virtually is a totally different ball game and it has been it has been a learning curve to try to figure out when i would normally just look at somebody's rib cage to see how they're breathing or look at somebody's body to see where they're holding tension now to have to translate to somebody else i think i'm hearing this are you feeling this <laughs> do you mm. feel X, where does you, where do you feel your breath? And so people, um, I think on the one hand, it's, it's almost better because people have to cultivate their own body awareness and their own awareness of their voices and what they're doing and how they're working, um, which will get them farther down the road on their own later on. But, um, it, it certainly is a, it's a longer road in the beginning just to, to say, I don't feel anything, you know? <laughs> well, how do we get from, I don't know what you're asking me to, oh yeah, I feel the breath down here in my mm. lower back, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so on the one hand, sometimes it's a little frustrating that I can't just see somebody's body or put my hand on their shoulder and say, you know, here. Right. But on the other hand, I think um, I think the relationship part of it is stronger because they're having to really assess internally what they're doing to make their sound. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's, it's 
it's been a learning curve, which is always good, right? When we stop learning, we stop growing. And right. um, I I do look forward to the day that I can be back in a room full of twelve people making lots of sound. <laughs> but I'm also really I'm also really enjoying these one on one times and and finding out you know people's lives here um, are so much more immediate. You know, you the commute into an office and then you know, having a work day, that separation of, of your home life just doesn't exist now. You know, your kid is in the room with you or your baby's on your lap while we're doing this work. And so I've had to um, really think about where my folks are and ask them, you know, where are you today? How are you feeling? You know, the headlines don't stop. And these are mostly journalists and, you know, assess, take their temperature. How much can we push today? How much can we really um, push the edges and the boundaries and really dig deep and explore? And how much does it have to be, okay, let's just work on breathing deeply today because we just got to take care of you and help you be the best you that you can be today. Um, So it's been been a lot more personal in some ways, even though we're virtual instead of in-person. Yeah, it, it sounds like you're saying we, we've had to innovate. You've had to innovate and, and develop ways in which to uh, get closer. We, we still need that closeness with, with people in the work that we do. And yeah. if you're a coach, you need that, yeah. that contact, that sensory awareness of their space. So you yeah. had to find ways to kind of put that into words maybe um, almost and innovate. And it's, it's challenging, isn't it? Like people are stressed to the max. Um, I know that's people are. People what I'm are. hearing. Yeah. Yeah, people are really stressed. Um, but people have also found, you know, remarkable ways to adapt. You, you know, I mean, my folks are used to going into, a be- most of them are used to going to a beautiful studio that's, you know, fully soundproofed and mm-hmm. they know which buttons to push. And then they all came home. And, you know, in many cases, four or six months later, we were still talking about, no, you can't curl up in a ball under a bedspread. You can't breathe that way. You can't make sound that way. Um, So a lot of my work became sort of pseudo engineering. Like how do we create your home studio space so that you can still make your best sound? Um, (laughs) Which also, you know, not my field had to sort of innovate a little bit. You know, how can you, how can you, um, how can we get your your anatomy, your windpipe structured in a healthy way so that you can create sound and that you don't get stiff and sore and miserable. Right. Um, yeah, it's been, it's been a wild ride, but you know, I thrive on variety and I thrive on growth and change. And I love that. Predictability makes me crazy. And I know there are a lot of people that love predictability and that's really stressful. But for me, this part of having to learn how to do my work in a different way has been, um, it's been kind of invigorating because how, how I help people is in a new format. And so that only makes me more valuable later, you know, if I know how to solve problems in 12 ways instead of six. Yeah, you know? exactly. It almost seems like you're built for this type of thing. And I'm hearing um, people kind of fall into two categories in my practice as people come in to, you know, asking for help with what they're going through through the pandemic. Either some people are just relieved that, mm-hmm. um, Everyone else is finally like the way they've been. Like they don't want to go out and be stressed out by people. <laughs> yes. And so they're happy to yes. be in their closet or whatever it is yes. they do when they're 
supposed yes. to be working at home. Um, and then other people who are just like, wow, like, you know, yeah, let's, this is an opportunity. There's a chance here to do something new. Um, and, and so it sounds like you're into the, in that category. I wonder, can you, can you share with people kind of what your, some of the boring stuff is? I mean, I know you're, you know, it's not all putting out fires and, and like, it must be a routine for what you do, obviously, and maybe explain to people what, what you do for NPR. Right. So, um, the majority of my job is the funding credits. So recording them is, is a part of it. Many people are very surprised to find out that that's a full-time job. Yeah, <laughs> and right. in fact, we have three voices and two full-time producers. It's a, it's more than one full-time job. It's a team of full-time jobs. Who are the um, other voices? Cause people would recognize them. Sure. Um, Chokey Ianson does the newscasts on broadcast and he does the digital and Kara Stevens does the digital as well. Um, so if you listen to a podcast or you listen online, you'll hear one of those guys. Um, but if you listen to broadcast, you hear me blathering on about Atlassian and C3.ai. Here it is. Um, <laughs> you have such a golden, wonderful voice. I have to admit, like I, I understand why they chose you and not like Al Franken to do the voice. Like, <laughs> Poor Al. <laughs> I love him. Well, you know, I, this is what I tell my clients. I mean, thank you. Um, but I worked on this. I didn't sound like this 15, 20 years ago. When I started graduate school, my voice was very flat and my jaw was very tight. My speech teacher would probably tell you that my jaw is still too tight. <laughs> but... um uh, you know, it's something that you work at. And so many people come to me and say, I know my voice is just my voice and there's nothing I can do about it, but I wish I could sound fill in the blank. And I'm like, but you can, you can do that. You know, you can change which tones you're choosing and you can, and you can expand your, your range of colors and you can choose, oh, I want to sound more, um, you know, warm and more uh, soothing for this piece. And now I want to sound more bright and peppy for this piece. And so I think um, what thrills me about this work is really um, the ability to empower people and invigorate people to have choices. Mm. Um, but back to the funding credits, which was your question. Depending on how busy it is, how many new clients we have in any given week, how much new copy we have from existing clients, I maybe am actually recording the funding credits anywhere from three to seven hours. And then the rest of the time, there's the team of us prepping the scripts, um, looking for, you know, ones that I've that I've recorded before that we don't have to redo, um, making changes. The clients, uh, you know, make changes all the time. They decide, oh, we don't want to promote this product or, you know, oh, when the pandemic started, we did nothing but make changes for three weeks. Everybody wanted to pull imagine. their existing every, every messages. Script was out and the window. Exactly, because it was tone deaf. And so everybody wanted to put on something like, in this uncertain time, you can count on us to fill in the blank. Um and then there's a lot that goes into making sure the files are right at the end of the week and making sure that um, they are all exported out properly so that we can deliver them to the shows and the stations. Um, and then we turn around and start doing it all over again. It's a right. week-long process, starting Monday morning with script prep and ending Friday afternoon. A lot of people come up to me because I'm uh, a clinical psychology person and, and do psychotherapy and counseling and or, or I get the sense that even if they don't tell me, sometimes they tell me, like friends will say like, you know, are you, are you constantly thinking about like whether I had issues with my mother and, you know, childhood? <laughs> and like, 
you know, the truth is no, like I'm off, I'm off duty. I'm always telling people I'm, I'm off duty, but the truth is <laughs> like, like, right. Like once we do have an instinct and, you know, in my case, it was an instinct mm-hmm. to be a healer and, and a, a kind yeah. of a spiritual person. And then of course went out and got training. And then my story realizing that all of that training. And then of course, you know, pursuit of a living, making money. And I want to talk to you about that too. That yeah. begins to weigh us down and weigh us down and we lose sight of or lose connection to that core, maybe that spiritual core that we had that sort of just was a calling and just an instinct um, for us. And, you know, I guess the truth is I do, I do notice things about, you know, people. And I wonder for you, like, do you, do you notice, like, can you tell what's going on or do you get curious? Does that curiosity get started when you hear somebody's voice and it's, and it's doing something? Like, what are those things that you might respond to internally and have to say like, okay, this is a person I don't know. I'm not going to coach them or I don't know if you have that. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of times I'm in, in the former camp that you described, you know, I'm not on duty. And so I, I'm thinking more about content than form. Uh, when most people talk to me. But absolutely, you know, there are extraordinary voices. And sometimes somebody will have something so unusual or unique that I just can't help think, what is that? How, how, how is that getting made? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think sometimes the same is true if I notice that somebody's, this is probably true for you too, that if I notice that somebody's especially shut down or guarded or their voices particularly held or tight or gripped that there's some sort of real um i almost want to say hurt you know there's some reason that they're holding themselves back like there's some reason somewhere. that they're yeah like there was some sort of trauma or some sort of belief that they weren't enough or good enough or shouldn't be heard and and so in those moments, I think, you know, yeah, I think what, what happened and I just want them to open, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it almost, that's the only thing people often ask me, you know, like whose voice do you love or whose voice do you not love? And I think more than any one person, it's when I hear something that's really just constricted and held and tight that I just want it to be open and free and I want to release all the guardedness and all the whatever it is, you know, all the tension. I just want to, mm-hmm. I just want to <laughs> grab that person and clear it off them, you right, know, right. help and, them open. And, and for people who are, who are listening and wondering what in the world are we talking about? Like some, some people may wonder, like, how <laughs> can point, you tell there's point. any, like, it's just a voice, like there's nothing like, right. But like, can you, can you bring us into, bring people into like what you mean by, hearing that somebody's voice may be constrained or they're holding back. What does that sound like? Yeah, so um, I'm going to see if I can maybe... Uh, so if 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 you... I'm going to start in the opposite of there. Mm-hmm. So if you hear somebody whose voice is just really warm and inviting and mellifluous and sonorous and you just want to like climb up next to them, that's what the really open, released sound is. Mm-hmm. And if you hear somebody's voice that's just flat or um i wonder if i can even um so let's take like mary had a little lamb so you think of like james earl jones saying mary had a little lamb or or david green mary had a little lamb its fleece was white as snow it's going to be all big and open and yummy and you just want to swim in it it's molasses and honey and then if somebody's closed off maybe it's more like 
Mary had a little lamb, its fleece was white as snow, and everywhere that Mary went, the lamb was sure to go. And you can hear that there just, there's tension and there's tightness and there's constriction and I just, I just want to open it. <laughs> come out, come out, whoever you are, I want to see you. You're talking about range and variation, um, the ups, the yeah. downs. It's not just a monotone. Yeah. It's like almost a song. Or even people have, uh, so I, and I notice my voice, right? Sort of like, like when, when something happens in the body, the voice sort of responds. Well, and, th- and that's true. When, um, when, when people are naturally excited, the voice goes up, you know, oh my gosh, can you believe this just happened? And when people are, um, when people are angry, when people are pretending to be angry, it does a very different thing than when people are actually angry. When people are actually enraged, their voices open and get very round and full and, Oh, you know, the full power is coming out. Uh, when people are pretending to be angry, they like clench their jaws and talk through gritted teeth. But I was going to ask you this because I think, I think that, um, when people read, that's happening in one part of the brain. And when people speak, speech comes from a different part of the brain. And right. so I think when people are trying to, um, when people are trying to read script, for a podcast or, you know, a presentation or on air or, you know, public speaking. I think that people are operating from their reading brain and they wonder why they don't sound like they're just talking. And I think it's because there's two different parts of the brain. And so my job is to get people to pretend they're talking while they're reading. And that's the trick. Yeah. Um, Key word I think you you use there is pretend. Like I think when we, when we are able to either envision and, and have an image in our head or empathize, um, you know, that does create a, um, a, it calls on the right brain, you know, as opposed to the left brain. And the left brain is logical and, and the left brain do, is responsible for language. And that can be a little confusing because, well, if the left brain is logical, why is something as abstract as language, why is that function done in the left brain? So it, it really starts to break down. And this idea of right and left brain even is sort of a mythology that there are systems um, and it's, I think it's just a helpful metaphor that we use right, right and left brain because yeah. It's yeah. more, and it's more about integration. I think to your point about when somebody's reading, if usually the, what we can tell is if there is an agenda and there's anxiety and stress, I mean, usually when we want something to happen, then the, our, our creative range is shorter. We are, we are narrowing down to an expectation. And so, and, and I think the body responds to that also. That's so interesting. I think, um, so two things I always, most voice teachers always start with the body. You know, we always start with stretching and releasing and opening and getting the blood flowing um, because you have to make space for the breath to move. And then right. you can put the voice on top of the breath. Um, but the other thing is, is about this left brain, right brain idea and the expectations, because I think people come to me with an expectation that there's a right way to read a script or be a host or whatever. And so they want to get better. I hear get better all the time. Yeah. How do I get better? Um, and, and I, th- I think the answer is never, you know, you're at step one and I need you to get to step three. It's always, you know, how do we soften your body more? How do we get your breath stronger and more breath control? And how do we build your range and your awareness of your range so that then you can choose from more options to create 
whatever you want. You know, it's like Bob Ross and the happy little clouds and the happy little trees, right? right? I don't, there's no right or wrong way to make the painting with your voice. It's just... By the way, that's Bob Ross. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. (laughs) I don't usually get to call it out, but... (laughs) There you go. See, it's kismet. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, funny story about Bob Ross, like I, you know, and I, this is secondhand. I don't know what the, what the, um, what the source is like. So I have to ask people to sort of refer, kind of look for the source, but, um, he was in the air force and he was a drill instructor. Right. Really? So he spent a lot of time and he, you know, apparently he said, you know, after he came out of that, um, experience, he said, I'm never going to raise my voice in anger again. And so what you see right in that, this this he's now a meme right he's so much more than a meme he's 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 a and we we actually my son isn't really was in into him for a while and didn't kind of watching and they have a place in northern virginia where you can where they send out art supplies and we actually went by and looked inside and saw oh yeah there's the there's the the you know the all the art supplies so um something about like um the idea of saying i'm never going to raise my voice again. That that almost strikes me as though when you hear him, and of course this is yeah. armchair psychoanalyst analysis here, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. here goes. I mean like, but when you hear him, it, you can you can hear it. So it almost sounds like, well, he's gone really over into the other side. Yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Pendulum it's, swung but that's an interesting story. And he's right. so specifically chosen this very soothing, very quiet, good for napping voice yes. that that it's i th- it's crazy i mean he didn't just say i'm not going to raise my voice he went all the way in the other direction right. he doesn't he doesn't even talk as loud as you and i are talking right now <laughs> no right so you might almost say i wonder if you'd say there isn't a range like in his case it's so soft and it's almost and it, of course it's art and so you're i'm not here to say that that he shouldn't right, have done right, that right, like right. that's just the, that's the medium he chose and he wanted to be i mean even and i wonder performers um you would know more about this but like they they decide their character is going to be a set like stephen colbert when he was in character for his Colbert report. Like, you know, that was, you know, people thought he was being just his stand up thing, but that was his, you know, that was a Mm -hmm. character he built. So I imagine that comes with it. Um, Have you been able to witness that? You've, you've, you've also been, you've pursued acting. Um, Have you seen that in? Sure, sure. Um, I think it's, I think what you said about Bob Ross, you know, in this this very tight range that he's chosen, you know, a low volume and the soothing quality. And within that, you know, he's got pitch range and he's got this this specific range of moods that he allows, you know, delight at one moment, comforting you to make sure that you understand you don't have to do it his way. You can do it whichever way you want. So there's that empowering. He's got this little painter's palette of of moods that he uses, but you're it's very specific. Um and I think, you know, I think that's what every, every actor at least strives to do. But I think we're all trying to, um, create somebody that is real, somebody that is three dimensional and has challenges and strengths and, um, and portraying that. Um, my favorite living actress is Kate Blanchett because she can so completely transform herself. You wouldn't recognize her from Elizabeth to the gift. Mm. She's so good at transforming herself and she's amazing on stage too. Um, and so she's choosing a range of physical gestures, um, 
her ways of responding to the other characters, her vocal choices, her dialect choices. Um, but it's still a three-dimensional whole person. You know, it's mm. not, it doesn't feel limited, but each one is so different that it must be limited, right? Um, it, it must be hard. I wonder, like, from, from stage to camera, right? Um, oh, some yeah. people maybe can just do that and they have the range to just make that change. But what's the difference? Yeah, stage um, involves you being large, <laughs> You know, you have to start from your core and all of your gestures have to be enough that the person in the last row can see you. So you, you do have to adjust for the size of your space. If you're in an amphitheater, it's different from being in a black box, you know, um, and you, and you learn that. That's what training is for. Um, camera, something so small, <laughs> something so little, you know, somebody, moves their eyes and you 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 f- can read a thought you know mm. somebody maybe goes from a smile to a tight smile you know something so tiny and and on stage you have to do all of that and you have to do all of that honestly but it it it's it's not focused for this tiny little receptor that is the camera it's it's much more um, it's much bigger and and has to have more power behind it, more physical power. You have to have more vocal power to carry your voice to the back of the house. Although um, there's a raging debate going on right now about how theaters are using microphones. Are you <laughs> and the voice teachers them? are all well. The voice teachers, um, some of them are purists and don't want any microphones in in the house because people can use their voices. And and some people say, you know, look, they're hanging way up from. You know, uh, they're hanging way up from the rafters and, and so it's just amplifying the sound. And, you know, we need for the people who are hard of hearing and, um, there, it's, it's an ongoing debate. And, you know, I think it, I think it makes sense to continue to train actors as though there were not microphones. And so that they, you know, when the sound system goes out, you know, the show must go on. Um, but also, we have technology, and so let's use it to, Yeah, uh, I was going to say amplify. Let's use it to amplify our purposes. <laughs> I didn't mean that to be a pun. <laughs> exactly. Right. It's probably like the debate in sports of instant replay. Like, you know, well, of course we want to know more. We want to we know the exact, precise, you know, did the ball touch the line or not? And then, but then once you're in the experience of that technology, the, the aesthetic of the technology is like, you know, we're all just twiddling. Like we're 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 like now secondhand to the technology as we wait for this result. It's, it almost takes the spontaneity yeah. out, or yeah, know, takes the yeah. range. Out, and you want the, you want to know that the refs are right. You want the refs to be they. You want them to have an eagle eye, and you want them to be right. You know, and then yeah, does the instant replay take away from our um, belief in their skill set or their authority? Right. Yeah, there's a perform. Huh. They're performing also. They're athletes. A lot of the you know, most of the yeah. time too. So, oh yeah. Um, I want to ask you about the problems that people have with their voices. Um, you know, my son is really interested in linguistics, and he's he's a avid reader, and so he's really and he's plus he's learning Japanese and um, and very interested in tonal languages. And he came to me the other mm-hmm. day. and He said, um, "I just thought of this." He said. Dad, you know, we, you know, cause we, he took some voice lessons at one point. We we're working on singing and he's like, you know, frying is supposed to happen. Like it's a normal, like it's a normal expression that we can like, 
like languages use that? I was like, well, I don't know. I'll ask Jessica. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, anthropologically, it's fascinating. You know, there's some, some cultures and languages that use the clicking and there are different kinds of clicking. So many different kinds that our ear probably can't distinguish between them. Um, and the fry, yeah, it's its own register. We have four registers in our voices, and fry is the lowest one. It's, it's we should a whole explain register. what that is for people, or maybe demonstrate. Oh, uh, sure. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. It's um, yeah, it's that popcorny, gravelly sound. The uh, uh, which the um, it, whenever people talk about fry, they always well, not always, but a lot of people reference the Kardashians. And I just have to say, the other day I heard an interview with Kim Kardashian, and there was not an ounce of fry in her voice the whole time. She had beautiful command of her tone and her breast support and her power, and she gave nothing away. Nothing was wasted. So um, I'll have to I'll have to find a better example. But there is, especially in the millennial generation. Fry, they don't even hear it. You know, it's just a part of that generation's culture of expression. It's it's normal for them. Boomers and Xers are like, oh my God, make it stop. (laughs) So, um, yeah, it's interesting how that came about culturally. Um, Why do we do it? Right. Well, I just saw a study the other day that said boomers and Xers think fry makes you sound less credible, less knowledgeable. Millennials think fry makes you sound more authoritative, more credible. Um, So I think it depends on who you want to reach. And in my case, um, fry is created by the vocal folds sort of banging against each other instead of lining up nicely like they do when you're using whole tone. And so if you if you, some people, when that, those vocal folds are flapping together, they can create little calluses and nodes, and some people require surgery for that. And I want people's voices to be healthy. So I try to teach people to use whole tone for that reason. And also because I'm teaching voice for people who are using their voices professionally. And the end goal is communication and to use your whole voice, you're heard better when you're talking back here. There's just less tone and so the voice just doesn't carry. But if you're talking out here, there's more sound and you can see it on, you know, on the recording. You can see the sound wave when I'm talking here. It's going to be huge. And then when you talk in fry, it's going to be really small down here. Right. And of course, there's the aesthetic of it. There's the like... People think it sounds cool, you know, that you're laid back and you don't care. You're super cool. And... um. I think it goes back to uh, Paris Hilton, right? That's hot. (laughs) And so, so when we hear that sort of like, oh my God, that's so hot. We're like, okay, that's that. We have that archetype in our heads of like the cool party girl. How do you stay interested and vibrant in your work? I mean, we've talked about a lot of, I mean, for you, this was a, a calling, but what about people for which... You know, it's more of a grind. The work that they're doing is a grind or they're looking for work, right? Being out of work. I mean, uh, I don't know if you can speak to your experience about finding um, the job security that you have, right? Which is amazing. But there's people out there, actors, actresses that don't have that. I I think, what would you say to them? Uh, Yeah, so I think it was probably the first month I was in graduate school. One of my classmates asked one of our faculty, 
How do you stay artistically alive when you're not in a show? And this is the problem for actors. You know, if you're a, if you're a singer, you can sing every day in, in your own home. You can keep your instrument in shape. If you play the violin, same thing. But it's like, uh, you know, if you're a, if you're an actor, it's a collaborative process and you, you can read plays and you can work on monologues, but you, you can't have that in real time responding in the moment to what somebody else is giving you and having a true reaction based on a character that you've created. Um, it's, it's always the actor's challenge. Um, this time is especially insane because it's all the actors and the singers and the symphonies and the stagehands and the lighting designers and the set designers and, um, the industry, the, yeah, the industry of the performing arts. Um, and so, you know, a lot of people have done fundraisers and donated to funds, but an actor sitting at home, (laughs) many actors have developed other things though, to feed their souls. Please take the time now to subscribe to The Soul of Life wherever you're listening. Give it a thumbs up or write a positive review. That's the best way to make sure you don't miss out on these amazing episodes planned for season two. Many actors also play an instrument or play basketball. Something else that they do creatively. They love cooking. Uh, I was never that fortunate. I was an actor who loved acting and I didn't have hobbies. I had a calling, as you said, and that was all my spirit ever wanted. So I feel exceedingly fortunate that I have found a full-time job that pays me to use some of my skill set on a regular basis. I mean, that's that doesn't happen. That's insane. Um, on the other hand, 80% of my job is this, you know, funding credits production stuff that is same after, you know, week after week. And so I am often challenged with that pandemic or no, how do you stay creatively alive? Um, and one thing that a lot of artists do and a lot of non-artists do um, is The Artist's Way. Do you know this book by Julia Cameron? No. It's it's a book about, it's a 12-step program for recovering creativity. Yeah. So it, it works you through 12 steps um, of recovering your sense of self, your identity. Um, there's a lot of, lot of work, but there are these tasks at the end of the chapter that, that prompt you to think about who you are, what you want. They make you do creative things, write a letter to yourself at 80, write a letter from yourself at 80 to you when you were eight. Um, and talk about, you know, what's important in your life. Um, and so it's sort of an, an inward journey of discovery of, of, who I am. And the other component of this that's amazing is you're supposed to take your inner artist on dates, just you and your artist. And you can do anything as long as it's frivolous and playful. So you can do finger painting. You can go for a walk with a camera and pretend you're a photographer. You can um, watch uh, your favorite movie from when you were 10. It doesn't Mm -hmm. matter. You can paint your toenails a different color. It doesn't matter. 
as long as it's no silly rules. and frivolous. Right. And it sounds, it sounds to, you know, in this society, we've so much prized productivity. Mm-hmm. It's really hard for some people to sit down for an hour or two and do something frivolous because they equivalent equivalent is that a word (laughs) they equate frivolity with meaninglessness and instead when you sit down to do something intentionally frivolous you feed your creative self you feed your artist self so that has been my stump speech for the past four months while i've been doing this process that i think um I'm not a painter. I will never be a painter. But I got down on the floor with a roll of butcher paper and some finger paints, and I had the time of my life, and I made something that gives me joy. And I'm never, it's never going to be framed in a museum, but it gives me joy, and I made it, and it was fun to do. And that's, that's what we're here for, right? That's why we were put on the planet, was to figure out who we are and express ourselves. The existential questions. Who am I? Why am I here? And for artists... You know, you can read a novel, write a song, learn to play the guitar. That's not maybe acting or stage, you know, set design or or whatever your primary field is, but you do have to keep nurturing your artist in some way. Yeah. And then, of course, a lot of artists have figured out ways around the pandemic problem. You know, there are Zoom plays and somebody's invented the software that symphonies can play together again. Somebody's, you know, jiggering the delays to line them all up and... um, so people are being innovative and finding ways to to create their own art. Um, but definitely some days I wish I was just a potter, you know, and I, I didn't need anyone or anything else to do my art. I could just yeah. throw pots all day. Right. <laughs> That'd I mean, be yeah, great. The, yeah the, the truth of it is like we're, because, it, you know, those of us who are working with people and performance is working with people, it's like you you have parts that can, parts of yourself that can get burnt out and um, and not believe that it's worth performing or not belief that it's worth the energy expense of of being yourself right and so you see that withdrawing from yeah. things and you see people complain yeah. about negative thoughts um you know critical thoughts the the inner critic is a big one for for people who who are creative or want to be more creative they i'm always telling them yeah. you know that you know that that critic is a protective part of us that it's trying it's there trying to help us and sometimes we it's not good enough to just say put it aside because they can't put it aside. It comes right back. So often we're trying to help them work with it creatively. And like, oh, what, what, is the, what does this critic look like? Well, it looks like, you know, a big fiery volcano. Oh, okay, great. All of a sudden now you're in your right brain with your, your imaginative brain with the inner critic. So something is now beginning to move. That's interesting. Yeah. 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 I love the, um, I mean, the inner critic is, is it's so pervasive you know we we get hurt or stunted or somebody tells us that's not good when you do that in some way and so we put up that protective wall and say don't do that don't do that shame on you don't do that um and you're absolutely right if you just say oh don't listen to that it doesn't go anywhere you have to look it in the eye and say Mm -hmm. What is this? Where did it come from? Why is it why why is it in me? Yeah. And and once you've done that, it's almost like throwing the bucket of water on the wicked witch of the west. You know, you look at it and as soon as you you're like, "Oh. That's all that was. I don't I don't that's need that." So true. Just because that's that so boy true. when I was 16 told me that I only got in choir cuz I was pretty, that doesn't mean I can't sing. He was exactly. mean. Yeah. <laughs> he yeah. was mean. 
Yeah, right. <laughs> I don't need to carry and, and then, his thing around with me for the rest of my life. And then like I would say to that part of you that is is holding on to that memory, right? I would if this was a, a person coming and saying this is this is what's stopping me. I've got this critic, I've got this memory of, you know, I'm only good if I'm pretty or something. Well, then what does she look like and how do you feel towards her right now? Or what does he look like? What does that critic look yeah. like? And using those prompts yeah. of visualization, I think yeah. you you do this um, clearly when you're working with somebody, you're, you respond to their cues and then you prompt them. And sometimes we need those prompts to get out of the rut we're in. We need, oh, okay, it's not, there's not a right answer here. What am I feeling? Oh, okay, well, what's coming to me is like, well, she looks like her hair is kind of, frazzled. Okay, great. Well, how do you feel towards her? Well, I want to help her out. Maybe I'll give her a comb. Okay, great. Now she's smiling now. Yeah. <laughs> you know, so this happens. Yeah, we're in, in the same business. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're in the business of helping people be bigger, better versions of themselves. It's, right. um, right. it, and it's truly, truly rewarding and fulfilling when somebody has that aha moment, when somebody yeah. says, oh, <gasps> Oh, that's all I had to do. That's so easy. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Right. It's good. Yeah, that's, it's great. I'm glad to hear what brings you joy, Jessica Hansen. And, um, and in this, during this pandemic, I mean, people are hearing you every day. So I hope now they have a sense of this, the dimension and the character and the, and the person that's behind the voice on, on NPR if they're listening. Thank you for this interview. Thanks for listening to The Soul of Life. This is Keith Miller. Oh, and don't forget, please leave a thumbs up or a like for this episode wherever you're listening so that others like you may find the soul of life. I mean, really, it's not every day you get to share the soul of life with someone. Okay, so you can post a comment or question on souloflifeshow.com. I'd love to hear from you. And please subscribe now to get the next episode. I look forward to sharing more of my soul of life with you. I like it and it's not harsh to my eardrum. All right, I will go.